Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Bucks never stop here. You're listening to Green and Growing, hosted by Sparky Pfeiffer and Nathan Marzion. Hey, it's Sparky Pfeiffer, 1250 AM. The fan, beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. going to be very hot in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, coming up in a couple of days. Saying high 90s a uh, couple of days this week in Milwaukee. I know a lot of other parts of the country have been going through extreme heat most of the year, so... Uh, Sucks to be you. Glad we haven't gone through nearly as much as some of y'all have. My uncle is just up here from Phoenix. I was like, man, it's warm there. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, wasn't it like 110 for like two weeks? Ah, there's a cool breeze. It's fine. A cool breeze at 110. Get out of here. Uh, Nathan Marzian is here as well. I uh, follow him on Twitter at Nathan Marzian. Follow me at Sparky Radio. Download this fine, fine green and growing podcast on your Odyssey app or if you download your favorite podcast at. Also, you can check us out on YouTube. They're all available on YouTube whenever I have a coast. When I'm solo, I don't put them up because I don't want to look at myself by myself for a half hour. Uh, Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Subscribe, follow, whatever you do these days in order to get notifications that we're uh, broadcasting. We highly recommend it. Nathan Marzian, you were not here on the last episode. I brought back Gary Wolfel, baby, in all his glory. It was fun. I haven't talked to we haven't Gary Wolf and I haven't done an interview in years. Uh, so reached out. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, your thoughts... Uh, on the schedule, I- I'll just say initially what stood out to me was obviously we always look for West Coast trips and all of that, but March is brutal. Like they 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 really are going to get tested, I think, uh, with that March schedule going into the last couple of weeks of the season. Not that they're going to miss the playoffs or nothing crazy, but it'll be a good test to see kind of where this team is at getting ready for the playoffs. What, what did you take away from it? Yeah, o- overall, I'm pretty happy with it because I like that in the second, like if I'm going to pick one, half of the year to be their more difficult half. I'd want it to be the second half when they're supposed to be gearing up for the playoffs and getting ready for that whole thing. I want to be I want there to be some some tests and some really tough games. Now, you know, that that stretch in March is I mean more than, you know, more than most teams can handle and more than I was probably expecting at one time. You know, you want them a little bit more spread out. They got I mean, I'll just go through this this stretch they have in March. Um Home against the Clippers, Road Warriors, Road Lakers, Road Clippers, Road Kings, and then they come back home for Sixers Suns, and then they go to Boston for the Celtics. So just, and there's not one single easy game in there, depending on if you know Kawhi and Paul George are playing or whatever. It doesn't but, get easy till like the last game or two of March. I mean, it's all playoff teams for most of that month. Yeah, and I I actually put together I right when it came out I kind of I I said the number of times they play. One of these teams. So I put Celtics, Sixers, Heat, Nuggets, Suns, Lakers, Warriors, Clippers, I think are probably the best of the best teams. Sure. Um, I think that covers pretty much everyone. And they face those teams 
combined a total of four times in the first 35 games, and in the final 45 games, they play them 16 times. So it's way harder the second half. I really believe that in mid-January, before this that's you know this really schedule really picks up, in mid-January, I, I would not be shocked if they are comfortably the number one seed in the entire NBA, honestly, just based on how their first half of their schedule looks. And this all depends on health and stuff, obviously. But um, I think they're going to start out with a fantastic record. I think they're going to be clearly the number one team in the league record-wise, you know, again, in the, when the new year hits. And then it might get a little bit close. They might lose that spot as they have, you know, really tough stretches and they lose some games. But, I mean, we don't. it doesn't matter. We don't need the num- number one seed. That's not the important thing. But I think they're going to give themselves enough breathing room at the beginning, first half of the season, that you're like, okay, we can really go into these games and and test things out, and you know we can afford some losses, and we're 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 comfortable with where we're at. I think we're going to be in a position like that. And again, that's what I'd want. That's what I want it to. If you're going to pick up the schedule, I want it to pick up as it goes. I don't want it to start super difficult, and then you have a bunch of easy games, and then you get to the. They, they had that a little bit last year where they had a you know that 19. Maybe it was 17-game winning streak, whatever they had. And, you know, a 17-game winning streak is awesome no matter who you're playing. But I remember, you know, they didn't play a ton of great teams the last couple months of the season. And the only times they did, they played, like, the Nuggets once, the Sixers twice, um, and I think the Celtics once. Maybe not even. I don't even know if they faced the healthy Celtics at at the end of the season. But, um, and they lost those. And they they went one and two in those three games against the two against the Sixers and one against the Nuggets. And so it was like, okay, how can you really judge this team going into the playoffs? Because they just haven't faced a many really good, healthy teams as of late. Um, this year, we're not really going to have that issue. Like, we're going to go into the playoffs having seen them basically for a month leading up to the playoffs face playoff caliber teams. And you know, again, that's not a it's not a perfect indicator of how the playoffs are going to go. But it's just you're going to be a little bit more like, okay, they sh- they should be ready for this. They should be ramped up and ready to go. And so I'm I'm happy about that. I uh, am sitting here listening to you talk and thinking to myself whether or not this could actually hurt them more than we actually think at this point from this perspective. Because I tend to lean with you that they're probably going to be the one seed and probably by a few games. Uh, And going into that NBA trade deadline, are we going to be talking about they're good? We're good. They're the best team in the NBA. They don't need anything. We're fine. In reality, they actually may need something, but you really haven't seen the competition to really know really where you're short one way or the other because you haven't seen a ton of the the upper-tier competition and really kind of gone through it yet to see where you're lacking. All you have is the record and what your schedule says you are at that point. I don't think it's a huge concern, but I think it's going to be fun to see what we're talking about on Green and Growing leading into that trade deadline. If they're healthy and if they're way out in front, will you or I be lobbying for more even though they may have the best record in the NBA. That's a very good point is, you know, yeah, the deadline, if they're, you know, they should be, again, looking at their schedule around the deadline, they really should be, they should have a really good record. They should be probably the number one seed. I mean, it does, it, it definitely picks up a little bit before the deadline. I mean, I'm looking at their December schedule seems really easy to me. A lot of home even, games. And early, early January they have. So I'm just going to quick read these off. Just, it shouldn't take that long, but Here's December and then the first part of January. So they have Atlanta, Chicago, Pacers, Pistons, Rockets, Spurs, Magic, Knicks, Knicks, Nets, 
Cavs. That's December, and then they and that's have, all after the tournament. Yeah, and then at the beginning of the of January, they have Pacers, Pacers, Spurs, Rockets. So that's until and then Utah, and then that's January 11th. They go Boston, Golden State, Sacramento. That starts a pretty tough stretch there, and then Cleveland. But then um, right before the deadline, they have Denver January 29th, uh, Dallas February 3rd, who should be you know pretty good. Phoenix February 6th. Um, Denver, February 12th, Miami, February 13th, Memphis, February 15th. So it does pick up right as that deadline hits. Um, and then obviously, yeah, I mean, February and March are, are difficult, but as you said, I don't know, it'll be, it'll be a little bit tougher to judge them because I think there will be this thing of, well, yeah, they're the number one seed, but the schedule is about to pick up. Are they really good enough? Um, but I do think that's where, you know, Watching, I know regular season doesn't really matter, but that's where watching the games and really being invested, you can kind of get a better gauge on things than if you're just like, well, I'm not, you know, people that just kind of casually follow them. I'm not really going to watch. They're going to win a bunch of games, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, if you watch them and you see, okay, how is Chris looking coming off of his injury? Um, is Grayson Allen taking any type of steps offensively to do, you know, a little bit more or whatever? Um, Drew Holiday, we kind of know what he's going to give you. Giannis, you kind of know what he's going to give you in the regular season and stuff. I mean, that's where you kind of got to watch and be like, you know, maybe is Marjan taking a leap? Is Marjan playing better than we expected? Are we going to really need to maybe bring someone in that, um, you know, Jay Crowder, how is he looking? Is he looking like he was back in Phoenix or is he looking like he did at the end of the season last year? Because that's a huge thing is how is Jay Crowder going to look? Is that a role we still need to fill of that wing defender? So there's stuff to look for besides just the wins and losses. And that's what I'm hoping people are doing rather than just looking at oh they have a good record great you know blah blah blah. look at some of the more important factors and and how those things are are playing playing about now another thing i want to talk about quick is the back-to-backs that they have because last year it felt like there were a lot of back-to-backs where on the second night they were facing a good opponent and it was always like well you can't take this one into account because we're kind of back-to-back and you kind of had that excuse built in really the only team they have that with this year is Miami twice. They play them on the second night of a back-to-back. But other than that, the teams they play on a back-to-back are Pacers, Mavs, Rockets, Spurs, Kings, Pelicans, Jazz, Hornets, Bulls, Nets, Grizzlies, Magic. So, I mean, that's a lot of contenders that you're not facing at, at, you know, I know last year they had the Nuggets on the second night of a back-to-back. They had the Celtics on the second night of a back-to-back. So, that I was also pleased about is like, okay, these more primetime matchups, we can, again, maybe actually get a gauge of how we're looking against these teams because we're not coming off a second, we're not coming off a back to back. And hopefully those guys are, you know, Giannis, Chris, Drew are all playing. Yeah. So that was another thing I liked. Yep. That's fair points uh, for sure. No doubt there. All right. Let's uh, move on to topic number two. This comes off of a piece by Seth Partno uh, in the Athletic. Before I read this, part of this and it's been up for days so hopefully you've you've read it um this dude was a member of the bus organization if we remember correctly just take this into account as i read what he says about uh Giannis. so he's got all these guys tiered off top what is it 125 players whatever it is all into these different tiers and he's got his top tier um his 1a tier being the joker curry and Giannis. not the joker by himself but those three all together in that top tier of players. This is part of kind of what he said. 
especially with Chris Middleton ailing the past two postseasons, the Bucks have gotten old, slow, and lacking in athleticism relative to their contention competition. Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez are still excellent players, but without Middleton's shot creation, shot making, there isn't much in the cupboard after that. The formula is to surround a dynamic paint threat like Giannis was shooting. Milwaukee has not been particularly successful, at least not with respect to guys who can reliably stay on the floor in the playoffs. Grayson Allen, for example, has been targeted somewhat mercilessly in certain matchups. This is everything we have talked about on this podcast. We, we've talked about them being old and slow and so forth. My question, and I tried to get Seth Partnow several times from the Bucks when we had an on-air radio show, and they would never let me have him. So I still haven't talked to him. But my my question is, were you lobbying in the front office to get younger? What were your suggestions of who you wanted versus who they didn't let you get? Because this, again, is a former Bucks employee. This isn't somebody that's never worked in the organization, just like Hollinger. He didn't work in the Bucks organization. So John Hollinger is just telling you what he thinks. Okay, that's fine. Hollinger was with Memphis. That dude was with the Bucks. So to me, when he starts talking, I'm listening because he knows the inner workings. He knows the talent. He knows all the numbers. He's got all of this in front of him. Now, he says, this isn't to say Giannis is blameless. Well, ex-coach Mike Boonholzer has gotten most of the blame for the Bucks' inflexible offensive approach. Much of that can also be laid at Giannis's feet in terms of his well-known preference to not to play the five, as well as the desire to be a play initiator as opposed to a finisher. Top players wanting the ball in their hands isn't disqualifying, but it becomes a bit problematic when the jumpers go missing. Also concerning is the drop in his free throw percentage and the accompanying 2.5% drop in true shooting from the previous four seasons, dating back to uh, 22-23. Further concerns include the near 3.8% drop in his accuracy from floater range. Do these sound like nitpicks? They are. At this level, though, those kind of differences can easily separate playoff series wins and losses. Giannis has played a lot of basketball over the last half decade and has some chronic knee issues to show for it. A knock on effect of his jumper deserting him is Giannis remains extremely reliant on athleticism to get to and finish at the basket. If that starts to go as he enters his late 20s and early 30s, there might not be enough other skills for him to fall back on to stay in this tier. So that's that's the write-up on Giannis. I will ask Nathan Marzia, how much do you think Giannis is to blame for playoff losses for the Bucs. Um, so I cannot, I kind of separate 2018 on Giannis from pre-2018 Giannis because they're not the same player. Giannis, it, it, you, like, they lost to the Bulls in 2015. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to look at Giannis' stats in that series. And he wasn't the same player. He was, a, he was, what was he, 20 years old at that point and just not the same guy, 2017 even, 20, like that Raptors series they had, um, not the not the Eastern Conference Finals, but the earlier Raptors series where they lost in six, and then the Celtics series in 2018 when they lost in seven. Even those, like he was a good player, but he wasn't tier A, tier one of the NBA type of player yet. So I can't necessarily judge him on that standard because that's not where he was at at that point in his career. Once he reached, once we the first time he was really at that, at that point was 2018, 19, he won his first MVP and they made it to the Eastern conference finals. And so since then we've had the Toronto series loss. You had the bubble loss, won the finals, lost to the Celtics and now lost to the heat. Like those are the five that I'll really, those are the five seasons. I'll really like, 
take into account for him and and right. actually judge and actually like again he yes they lost those series earlier and everything but I can't judge him. I'm not going to judge him on the best player in the world standard that I will for the rest of the series. So for judging him on that standard, I'm starting with 2018. I give him a decent I give him a decent chunk of blame for t- for the t- uh 2019 Eastern Conference Finals against Toronto more than I think people in general kind of do and more than people probably would expect myself to because everyone knows I mean I love the guy and I'm going to try to defend him at all costs, but he wasn't quite ready. And, you know, he was he was one of the best players in the world, but he was not quite playoff ready at that point to take over and take that next little leap. Um, he struggled against double teams. He struggled with his decision making at times, really struggled from the line. And he just yeah, he, he didn't seem like, you know, they went up 2-0, and then the Raptors built that wall against him and he wasn't quite ready for it. And so I'll, I'll give him some blame for that. Now, the rest of the team also sucked. So you can't put all in too much blame on him. And Coaching wasn't very good, but um, like Bledsoe was absolutely awful in that series. Chris was not good in that series. I don't think, I think our best, second best player was like George Hill. So it was, it was ugly. Nikola Miritich was absolutely terrible. So he didn't get any help, but I still will blame him a little bit for not being like, if, if we had 2021 Giannis in that series, I think we still win regardless of how the rest of the team played, because he was that much better, I think in 2021. So I give him some blame for 2018, 19, then 2020 in the bubble. I'm not going to put a ton of blame on him because I think the whole team was a little bit disoriented there. And I just don't think they really were into it the same way that they were in the regular season once the bubble hit. So I don't think that was a Giannis specific thing. Now, again, sure. Could he have played better? Yeah. But I, I didn't go out of that series saying, wow, Giannis, Giannis isn't, isn't one of the best players in the world. I was like, they just this this just was not their year. Obviously, twenty twenty one, fantastic, great, and then the Boston loss can't put much on him. He averaged like thirty five in that series, um, had an insane usage rate with Chris being hurt and Drew struggling, and the rest of the team absolutely choking from three in the last couple games. Um, and he was like the other thing is too. I'm like, did he have a great game seven against Boston? No. But he had an amazing game six that would have closed out the series if literally anyone else stepped up, but nobody did. I mean, he had 44, 20, and six in game six to close it out. And if they win that game, nobody's talking about this as a bad playoff performance at and like at all for him. It's going to be one of his best series of his career. But since everyone else shoots five of 40 from three, they go on to lose and people are like, oh, well, was Giannis actually that good in this? Yes, he was. He was fantastic. So I, I don't put really any blame on him for that series. And then last year he was hurt, so I can't put too much on him there. So really, ultimately, there's one series that I really blame him a decent amount for, and that's the Toronto series in 2019. Um, and other than that, it's kind of hard to really pinpoint him as like, All right. yeah, he really struggled. The only I will give him, I mean, he struggled in the second half of the game five last year, took the, the last game of the season. Yes, he struggled in that. But he was really good for the – he actually – was good for the first three quarters and had a bad fourth quarter, a bad overtime struggle from the line. Yes. But again, he was playing hurt. He still put up 38 and 20. I don't know. It's, I'm not going to sit here and act like he was awful. When we talk about uh, starting pitchers in major league baseball, right. And we get to the playoffs, you have your ace. We have our ace. You have your two. We have our two, whatever. 
And really, at the end of the day, if you are the ace, you're expected to outperform the other ace. If the other ace gives up one run, then you better give up zero runs because you're our best pitcher. And that's how it's supposed to be. In Major League or in NBA, it's always the best player in the league normally ends up in the finals because they're the best player in every series. And whoever the best player is in the series normally wins the series. How many times has Giannis been the best player in the series and they haven't won the series? Definitely 2022 against the Celtics. Is that fair? Yeah. I don't, okay. I don't think it's close. Um, I think last year, I mean, he came back and hurt. He he was hurt and he came back and in those two games he played, he had a triple double and a 38 and 20 game. I don't, I mean, was he better than Jimmy Butler? No, but that's not, I, it's not Giannis's fault that Jimmy Butler went off. That is the coach's fault. That is whoever's guarding Jimmy Butler's fault. I mean, I, that's why I can't really I, – I don't like using that because they're not playing one-on-one, you know, and – I should have been. I, yes, but that's not Giannis's fault is my mm. point. It's not. That's it's not available. Giannis's fault. It's fine. So, but, like, that's my thing is I'm like, well, I mean, I, I do believe that if Bud puts Giannis on Jimmy Butler, then Giannis would have outplayed Jimmy Butler in terms of stats at the end of the day, but he didn't, so – Bud didn't, so then – he didn't. That's not really Giannis's fault. Um, in the bubble, I I know Jimmy Butler played well in that series. He's probably a little bit better than Giannis. So, I mean, again, I'll give Giannis some blame for that, but not a ton. I just think that was overall a team issue. And then he didn't play as well as Kawhi in 2019, um, which is the one I give him blame for. But really, the last couple of years, I mean, I ever since the title, I mean, has there been one series where he was definitively – outplayed no because i can't say he was definitive outplayed against miami but only because he was hurt like yes jimmy butler was amazing and yes he technically outplayed him but i can't how do we we don't know how good Giannis would have been if he was fully healthy because he right. put up a triple double in 38 and 20 in the two games he played i would agree just Kawhi, and that that to me is something um that also has to kind of be examined here like if if he's doing his deal and everybody else isn't doing theirs, then where does that come back to? Of course, everybody wants to blame Bud uh, and so forth, or Bledsoe, or whoever the case may be on a given season. But Michael Jordan was always the best player in his series, and they won. LeBron James was always the best player in his series for the most part, and he didn't win every one. He's lost finals being the best player in the series, and it wasn't because he was lacking surrounding. Uh, people now the first time he went with Cleveland yes he didn't have the supporting cast fine he got there there I have no idea how at a young age that was so impressive but you know when you lose with Miami then I don't give a damn that that was your first year together or not you still lost um and, and the Mavericks still took it to you and you were the best player in that series regardless of Dirk um so he's also had his struggles e- even when he was the best player so there's something to that the other thing for this part no article I want to talk about in the athletic is when he talks about the fact that Giannis not wanting to play center, um, which we know, uh, and Giannis not wanting to necessarily be the finisher, but wanting to be the guy that initiates the offense. This is where frustration lies with me. First off, I don't want to play center either, so I'm with him there. No complaints. My issue lies with if he really doesn't want to be the guy being the guy finishing around the rim and would rather be the guy at the top, distributing the basketball. A, that drives me crazy already because it's your best player, uh, you know, at the top, taking himself out of the offense. So that I don't like. But then 
this tweet that I saw uh, the other day from NBA University. I'll be honest, never followed them. Don't know who they are. Somebody retweeted it, so I, I saved it. Highest volume of tightly contested, in quotes, two-point field goal attempts. Defender within zero to two feet when you take the shot. So bonus, King Center, number one, 56.7%, 194 shots. Now, it does not say, in fairness, where these shots were attempted from when you took the shot, right? So it just says the defender was within zero to two feet. So this could be a jumper from 15. This could be a shot around the rim. This could be a three, whatever. It doesn't specify where the shots were taken. 194 shots. He shot almost 57%. Giannis was second. He had 143 shots, and he shot 59.4%. Folks, I'm here to tell you, if I'm Adrian Griffin, that's what you've got to figure out. You've got to figure out how do you get him closer to the basket more consistently, whether that's slashing to the basket, getting a pass, whatever the case may be. But how do you get him working closer to the basket? Is it working, having him work on post skills and getting his back to the basket and learning a couple different post moves that he can use? If you drop the ball down to Giannis and introduce a new type of Giannis. Yeah, I know the turnaround at the Guardian when he hit the shot that everybody wants to hold on forever. Fine. But you don't see that a ton. He does it maybe once a game, twice a game, and then we go away from it. We don't see it anymore. You don't see him spinning to the basket a, a ton necessarily off of a repost because they never repost. So that type of stuff, I think, based on those numbers, make a lot of sense to me. And that's something that they have to convince him is good for not only him, but for the career kind of going forward for Giannis as far as further developing his game. So the question is, should Giannis be playing closer to the basket going forward? I say yes. What say you, Mr. Marzian? Well, for I just have a like genuine question. Have you ever heard Giannis say that he wants to nope. be the initiator and doesn't want to be the finisher? Nope. But as I said before, this man was in the front office in the organization. So because everything I have I've... heard, he doesn't want to play center. Yes, I've heard that from multiple people. This one here, haven't heard as much, but it would make sense. And I do think, I think the thing is Giannis doesn't want to play center full time. I think, I I don't think he at all minds playing center for brief periods of a game. Like, I don't care. I don't think he's like, oh my God, you took out Brooke Lopez and I'm forced to be center right now. Like, that's okay. He just is saying, I don't want to be the, I don't want you to trade Brooke Lopez, get rid of Brooke Lopez and rely on me to be your full time center, which I completely agree with. But I don't. I think he's completely fine playing center sometimes, and I that's how I feel as well. Like I want him playing some center, but not all the time. In regards to um, being the initiator and stuff, yeah, obviously I I'd like to see him be the initiator less. I just think it makes it exponentially harder on him when he has to, you know, get to his spots rather than you getting him to the spots and drawing up stuff that gets him to his spots already. Like where he catches the ball matters and I think that's where I that's something I would focus on is like when Giannis first touches the ball where is he is he starting at the very top of the key where he's as far out from the basket as basically he can be and having to drive into the paint and go through people and they can generate a defense against that or are you running pick and rolls are you running different stuff that where he catches the ball and he's already in the paint and then okay well then he's the best player in the world in that area so I just think anything that you can do to make it easier for him to get to the paint is good. And because that's his sweet spot. Now, I still think there's going to be times where sure, he can you know, I'm I'm completely fine with him initiating offense sometimes. Just not I just don't think it should be 
as a big of a thing as we saw it with Bud, where it's just Giannis and then four guys on the outside. Right. As I said, as I said, that's easier at least to generate a defense against because you're just you know you're you're limiting his options a little bit, and it's making it harder for him to get to the spot where he's best at. Whereas I feel like every time they run a Chris Giannis pick and roll or Drew Giannis pick and roll, okay, you're getting Giannis moving towards the basket without the ball. And you're either, you know, it's like you're, you're generating either a mid-range look for Chris or if they come over by Chris, you can get Giannis the ball closer to the basket. And if the defense completely cops on everyone, okay, someone else is going to get an open three. And it's like, that's my always been my thing is run stuff like that and use him. There's no shame in using him a little bit more like Shaq. Like, that's okay. We it, we don't have to act like that's a bad thing. Um, I think Giannis is a really good passer, and I think he's a really good ball handler for his size, and that's why, again, I'm, I'm still fine with him initiating offense sometimes, being the point guard a little bit. But, that, but that's the other thing, Nathan. Because he is a good passer, if he does get to the point of, like you said, Shaq, and I'm not expecting Shaq, but let's say he gets to the point of being pretty good in the post, and now they start running doubles at him, now you're able to drop the ball off to Drew cutting to the rim or drop the ball off to somebody cutting baseline from the corner. Now you're able to utilize his passing skills even more than just initiating the offense at the top of the key. Now you give an option to hit wide open guys when they draw when he draws double or triple teams on him once he gets close to the paint. So maybe a shot attempts go down a little bit doing it that way, but it should also open up easy offense for other players on the team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm just saying that he has some point guard skills in him that like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying I think he should just, they should go away from him ever bringing the ball up right. and never do that. Like I, he has enough ability there that I'm like, no, he can still do that sometimes. That's all I'm saying. Um, but that's something. Yeah. I mean, I've been harping on this since 2020 basically of like, okay, let's go away from this whole, let it fly thing and go away from this whole five out thing and like drop offense for him rather than making him go do everything himself. And they yes. did that. They did that a lot in the playoffs in 2021 down the stretch of games. And I they even did it last year a little bit down the stretch um, in some games where it's like you kind of tell they just were like, okay, we got to go back to the to Giannis as the role man. Giannis as the role man. And it works. And it's like that that's what gets you your best offense. Um, and I think, I mean, they've, they, there's been stretches where they have done it pretty well, but it just has never been consistently enough for like it just it seemed like it always at the end of the day, it always defaulted back to Giannis being at the top of the key. And it's like, I don't want that to be the default. You know, I want that to be more of something that's here and there rather than just hammer that every time. And I know like it's it's hard, I think, for for a team to do that sometimes because you kind of your mind just automatically goes to, OK, he's by far our best player. He should have the ball in his hands and he should bring the ball up. And it's like, that doesn't, no, like play to his skill set, play to his strengths. Um, and it's the same thing with like, and as I said, down the stretch, but especially, you know, final minute of a game or final possession of a game, like just because Giannis is the best player doesn't mean he has to bring the ball up. And that's what I, like people have such an issue if you're like, like, okay, if the, if the Bucks were down one and you need a bucket. What are you like? What are you drawing up? And I'm not giving the ball to Giannis right away. Like, why, like that does that to me is you know he he's not the perimeter type of player to do that. That's okay to admit he's not the perimeter type of player to like give him the ball at the top of the key, ten seconds on the clock. You're down one. Okay, go Giannis. That's probably not the best option. The best option would probably be give it to like Chris, try to run something for Giannis, and play that way. And it's like that. That's okay. That's that's just using Giannis to his strength. Just because he doesn't have the ball and bring it up 
that doesn't make him like worse of a player. Doesn't it's I just think people have this idea in their minds, or at least, you know, coaches sometimes have this idea in their minds of just like, oh, give it to Giannis. And it's like, well, that's not always the best way to use him. Yeah, no question about it. One last topic here on the way out because Kendrick Perkins irritates me a lot. Uh, This tweet after a USA basketball game, ladies and gentlemen, I think we may have found the face in capital letters of the NBA. I believe his name is Anthony Edwards. Happy Sunday and carry the hell on. This is my thing. Why is he still looking for a face of the NBA? Like, what is this all about? First of all, nobody's even watching those stupid games. Let's start there. Nobody's watching them. I'm glad he's watching them. That's great. Nobody else is watching these USA games with these guys. So I'm glad that the writers that are covering it are watching it and five other people. But nobody's watching this for this to matter. The only chance Anthony Edwards has of ever becoming the face of the NBA is he's got to show up in the playoffs and do something. His team has to do something to go win a championship or whatever. And that's not happening. It's, it's not happening, folks. It's not happening anytime soon. And why people want to continue to fight this whole LeBron is the face or Steph is the face or Giannis is the face, whatever. The, the reality of the situation is there are several guys in this league that right now seemingly are the face of the NBA because LeBron's teams have kind of taken a step back. LeBron is still playing at a high level, but the Joker has had a lot of run here in the last couple of years. Giannis has had a lot of run with NBA publicity around the world going forward. I don't think there has to be just one face, Marzian, at this point for the NBA. If there was one, I'd still lean towards probably Giannis or LeBron or Joker. I don't know. You can still pick. I, I think that's wide open. But I don't know why there has to be one guy specifically right now. Yeah, there doesn't. There doesn't. And I feel like he's definitely just trying to start some debate, trying to get some, you know, get some people talking. It's not, yeah, as it's not going to be Anthony Edwards. He's not the face of the NBA. I mean, he could be way down the road, but like you said, to really, really be the face of the NBA, you basically have to either be in the finals or win the finals or be like, you have to be one of the best teams in the NBA or else you're not going to be the face. You're just going to be some really good player on a bad team. Um, I think Edwards, the hype I've seen is crazy, but I, I think he's going to take a nice leap this year. I think he'll be, He'll kind of put himself into almost like the top 10 conversation, but that, you know, it doesn't make the face of the NBA. That makes you a top 10 player. You know, um, if, if I'm talking face the NBA, like to me, I, to me, it should be Giannis Jokic. I, I just think if you're talking about the two best players in the league, that to me is like, they are tier one. I think Curry's right behind them, but just the fact that he's now 34, maybe 30, is he 35? Um, I'm just going to quickly look this up. 35. He's 35. So it's hard for me to be like, I I trust that he is the best player in the league still or one of the best. Like, I know he's so good. I love Steph Curry, but it's like, if I'm Here's just talking the face. If what? you went to the Brewers game, or in your case, a Cubs game, people go to Cubs games still. If you go to the Brewers game or the Cubs game, and you said, I'm going to say the I'm going to say something. You tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. And you went NBA. And you walked around the stadium and every person at the stadium did it. 40,000 people, whatever. I think LeBron James wins it. What do you think? Yeah. I, I, if that's what you define as face the NBA, then sure. If it's just the most popular player, then yeah, it's LeBron or Steph Curry. Yeah, that's but the face. I don't think that's the face. To me, the face is, I think there has to be some element of, for people that actually follow the game, watch the game, who is re- regarded as 
the best player. No, those are core people. That's not the face. The face is who the NBA markets itself around. That's the face of the NBA. Michael Jordan, the NBA marketed around Shaq. They marketed around Shaq. And well, then it's going to be, then it's going to be LeBron until he retires because they love LeBron. They're not that guy could be averaging five points a game, and I they'd still make him the face of the NBA. But if you're just talking about that, then to me the the conversation becomes kind of meaningless because I don't think it has as much to do with how you're actually playing on the court. Yeah, because if we're talking about who the media likes the best or who they think is the best, well, then that that it's, opens yeah, up it, Pandora's It's box. 100%. If, yeah, if it's just that, it's 100% either LeBron or Curry. Yep. Um, Giannis will get some votes. I'm trying to think. Yeah, Giannis, Giannis is close, but... Joker they, won't. I, yeah, I mean, I do think there's definitely just some bias against the international guys. I think if... If it's if there's five really good players in the league and three of them are international and two are American, I think the two American guys will probably get more love than the three international guys. Like Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, probably the three best players right now. At least they were last year for sure. And yet neither one of them, like none of them are really the most popular player or marketed as the best player. Right. It's like it's still LeBron, Curry. It's the same guys. KD, it's, it's those same guys that they've kind of just – kept going along kept along and it it's frustrating to me because i'm like those guys had their time as like the best players you know lebron was that from basically 2007 8 almost until 2017 18 close to there curry had a couple years in there katie had a couple years in there like those were the guys they they had their run of being the three best players or the two three best players it's it's Giannis and Jokic's and Embiid's and you know Luca's getting in that conversation, but it's those guys' era, and it's like I feel like by the time, by the time, you know LeBron and KD and Steph are done, and it's like okay, well now who do we move on to? All of a sudden, Giannis, Jokic, and Luca and Embiid are all gonna be like 32, 33 yep. years old, and it'll be like, well they're starting to kind of fall off. So let's it'll be women like by that point. Yeah, you're gonna kind of miss. I just feel like they're gonna miss their their window here and it's like we should be the they should be the years that we are like completely hyping these guys up to death and turning them into the next lebron and next steph curry and the guys that you know you you literally see all the time everywhere posted everywhere because they get talked about so much it's like i don't know i especially Jokic. i because i'll say Giannis has like a good amount of popularity i feel like a lot of people like him i feel like he does get posted about a decent amount i'm not going to act like nobody ever talks about Giannis. um Embiid, I, Embiid's a little bit more fair that he might not as much because he just hasn't accomplished the same as those other guys. But Jokic is the one that I'm like, he, you know, he's now two-time MVP champ, had an amazing finals run, and it's like, I don't know, I still feel like he's probably the 10th most popular player in the Agreed. league. Yep. And it's just like, that seems crazy to me. No doubt. He is Nathan Marzian. Follow him on Twitter at Nathan Marzian. I am Sparky, uh, 1250 AM, the fan. And follow me at Sparky Radio. Thanks for tuning in to another fun edition of Green and Growing. We'll record a game coming up on Thursday night, like always. Have a good night. Toodles.